and welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is Jiro Taylor here, the host. And um, yeah, it's been a while. Thank you for tuning back in. Thank you for your patience. If you're a regular listener, yeah, we've been on a bit of a break. I, um, yeah, been going, having some deep exploration and figuring out um, what Flow State is going to be and how to build out this next season of the podcast. And I'm happy to say that it's all going ahead and um, much clarity has been gained. So without further ado, let's just jump into this uh, first podcast of season two, I guess. And um, before that, just a quick announcement. So Flow Tribe, which is a community for those dedicated to self-development and living in the flow of life, launched um, in September, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's already up to around 100 members. Uh, the vibes are really high in there. Lots of awesome sharing and people all with common interests in flow and self-development. Um, there's going to be lots of helpful resources around meditation, breath work, psychedelics, um, basically how to raise awareness and how to um, do this thing called living in the flow of life. So check that out at www.flowtribe.co or you can go to the flowstate.co website. Um, and without further ado, let's jump into this interview. Uh, today I'm chatting with a very interesting man called Jordan Lejuan. He came into my awareness years ago when I was exploring uh, psychedelics and philosophy and consciousness. Um, he started, he, he was the founder of a very, very popular website called highexistence.com. Um, maybe you've come across it in the past. Um, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's now the CTO and co-founder of a uh, a media site called futurism.com. Um, as you can imagine, futurism, uh, futurism is one of his interests. I would say that he's a, not only an entrepreneur, I'd say he's a philosopher, um, very interesting guy. We had an amazing conversation around um, psychedelic exploration as a tool for spiritual growth, flow states, how to understand our consciousness, um, how these group experiences like Burning Man or Raves can be so transformative. Um, He's an explorer like me, um, so he had much resonance, and I feel it was a really, really great conversation, very casual, very free-flowing, um, so I think you're going to be able to drop in and tune in with us and um, resonate on what we're talking about. Um, I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Fantastic, man. Awesome. So just to just to dive in and to avoid the traditional kind of like uh, banter, um, I just want to ask you a couple of questions that kind of like get a little bit deeper. Um, so tell us about the projects that are currently inspiring you the most right now. Uh, you mean ones that I'm working on or just projects in general? First of all, projects that you're working on right now that are super, okay. super, super exciting for you because I, I know you're a project guy. Um, yeah, oh, you, definitely. You tend to have a lot of them. Yeah, the, the the major project that I'm working on right now is Futurism, futurism.com. We're a media website that write about futuristic technology, uh, things that are going to be drastically changing uh, the course of mankind over the next 10, 20, 50, you know, 1,000 years. So things like virtual reality, artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, gene editing, uh, all those exciting things. Um, we have a... a major audience on uh, Facebook. We have almost 5 million followers. So our, our main goal is to basically proliferate this information um, about all these things that are going to be becoming even more and more important as time goes on. We just think that people really need to know how the world's going to be changing. Mm, interesting. Um, so that's what you're spending most of your time in right now. Um, I know you and uh, I'm sure that a few listeners will know you from, will know the name and, and know about your work from the High Existence days. It's almost like a, I don't know, like almost like a cult type of thing, definitely a part of my <laughs> upbringing or, or my sort of rite of passage from, you know, fully conditioned human being to slightly less conditioned human being. Um, so how do you look back on, on those days setting up and running High Existence? Oh, so fondly. Um what a different time in my life. I was living at my parents' house for a good two years. I was dropping out of college in a very unglamorous way, yeah. learning how to code. And um, well before High Existence had you know, any substantial readership, and then it, it, it just got really lucky in that stumble upon sort of dumping traffic on it, thanks to a, a couple of articles, just a few. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm so thankful for High Existence because it, it literally, I, I can connect the dots all the way back 
from where I am today back to high existence, it really did launch everything else that is like um, every other exciting thing that's happened in my life is directly tied to high existence. Sure, man. I can see how that would happen. Um, what what is was that, what was like the genesis for that? Like in terms of, I'm interested about your your upbringing because you're obviously decided to explore and then write about um, topics that you know included. Uh, psychedelia, esotericism, um, and the the blending of that and a modern way of living life. Um, I guess mm-hmm. the search for freedom was was a was a dominant one for you. Um, Absolutely. But how did that how did that emerge um, in your life, like relative to the to the upbringing that you had? Well, my upbringing was very different from what you uh, will see on High Existence. My for the first 10 years of my life, I was a dedicated Christian because my father was a pastor um, at a mega church in Orange County, which is like the Republican stronghold of Southern or of California. Um, so we weren't allowed to watch Power Rangers or like watch, you know, anything that had any type of violence or reference to magic. Like it was very intense. Um, and then through a series of events, yeah, my father stopped being Christian and I found myself in kind of a, I guess, I think, well kind of atheist and then eventually agnostic um, path and then eventually ended up in college. And um, I was really unhappy with my college experience. I was studying business at the University of Southern California. And uh, it was the first semester it just ended and I was back home for winter break. And I was really thinking about how I was unhappy with what I was being taught there. I was basically being taught to be a manager at some kind of at like a Nordstrom or something like that. And like not really to start companies like what I wanted. And I wasn't really happy with the social atmosphere there. It was, it was much more artificial um, than I expected. Um, and I was at my, my dad's house and I saw a book on his, um, his shelf. And it was called The New Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. And that single book was like my, introdu- my introduction to the whole like self-improvement uh, sphere. It was kind of like a scientific approach to positive thinking, mm-hmm. which is perfect. It was like a, an entry point into like the more like woo woo stuff that I now know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read that book and then, uh, that turned me on to meditation. And I started like checking all these different categories on stumbleupon.com, like meditation and productivity and self-improvement and that stumble upon, which as I said before, like actually is the reason why high existence got big was also the reason why or like how I found out about all these things that I'd never heard of before. Um, and then I was, I was searching for a website that kind of had all of this in one place and was talking about psychedelics and, and productivity and just consciousness and new ways of thinking about the world and how to be happy. And I couldn't really find it at that point. You know, blogging was really new. Um, personal development was also pretty young on the internet. There were just a few major websites and they were mostly aimed at older people. Um, I was really inspired by Steve Pavlina's blog. I think it was a personal development for smart people. That's <laughs> what his thing was. Um, so there, there was a huge hole, and I decided to to fill it. Amazing, I had a lot man. of marijuana fueled nights of just driving <laughs> what I found to be most interesting. And yeah, so it you, out. you basically just started writing about the stuff that you found inspiring and interesting, and. Um, just writing articles and it basically just grew organically from certain articles getting massive organic reach and then everything just kind of snowballed from there? Yeah, just a few art- major articles. The first big one was uh, 50 Life Secrets and Tips, which is like... I still read almost, that one. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much everyone is like, that's that's the one article that you landed on and that's how you found out about how existence pretty much. Um, and that was before listicles were like, you know, a dime a dozen. It was like a fairly new concept when it came out, so mm. people loved it. Wow, man, that's interesting. Your your upbringing as a child. In what ways do you think that the the religious upbringing, which was kind of like dogmatic and plate feeding you a set of beliefs and views of the world, how do you think that's informed your mind and your behaviors now? Well, in two kind of fairly opposite ways. Um, one, it made me a lot more rebellious because I had to rebel against that. I hated the, the dogma and I wanted to think for myself. So that was very strongly ingrained. And then kind of on the flip side is I think that because I believed something when I was younger that is like really far out there and weird and I think pretty crazy, I think it provided me kind of like the, the freedom to believe crazy things now, except for they're like the crazy things that I choose to believe. Uh, like <laughs> yeah. a very, I have a very strong like Let's see, way that I view the world, and I'm sure that if I, you know, told every bit of detail of it to someone, they would probably think that I am crazy, and I probably am a little bit. 
So, yeah. Wow, man. Do you remember as a kid, because I was also raised like a very religiously by a mother who was super strict Jehovah's Witness, and they take the Bible like fairly literally, or they take the, por- the portions that they choose very literally. Um, and I remember reading the book of Revelations when I was a kid, and for anybody that doesn't, is not familiar with that book, it's kind of like a bad acid trip involving seven-headed beasts and all sorts of fire and brimstone. Do you, do you remember reading that as a kid? I remember, I actually never read Revelation. I was like too too young, I guess. But I, I was definitely told all the stories by my grandparents and my parents and, you know, I had the, the few uh, Sunday schools that were about that yeah. topic in particular. I was well aware of, uh, you know, what was going to happen when Jesus came back, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So... Did you say that you first picked up that book from your dad's bookshelf? So, yeah. So, so he had read that book. I'm super curious about him leaving the religion and then obviously buying and, and reading that book. Yeah, his story is really interesting. We're actually extremely alike. So it's, it's, like, it's very believable that he had this book on his shelf. Um, but what happened for him was he started seeing corruption in the church where he was a pastor at, decided to create his own church. Um, it's called Acacia Grove. Did that for about maybe a year, if my memory serves me, and then wasn't happy with that either, and then felt that God had called him to move to London. And so he one day came home and told the entire family, me and my three siblings and my mom, that we were moving to London. And I don't remember really thinking anything of it. I was just excited to get out of the country because I was like you know, 10 years old. Um, but yeah, that's what happened. We were there for three months. They were maxing out their credit cards meanwhile, and he was apparently walking the streets of London like trying to listen for God's voice to figure out why the hell he had been sent there and never really got an answer. Meanwhile, I just remember, you know, going to museums and traversing like Hyde Park and loving it. Um, so I guess he came back like kind of feeling abandoned a little bit um, and had pretty much completely lost his faith. So I think we followed a similar path of like losing it completely, then atheist and agnostic, and then kind of rediscovering our spirituality through a new framework of our choosing. Wow. What's your relationship with your father now? Oh, fantastic. We're like best friends. We talk, you know, several times a week. Yeah. Really? That's amazing. That's amazing. So, well, I'm sure this, I'm sure your father will come dip into this conversation again because it, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a topic. Relationships with parents is a topic that's, that, that I've been contemplating very much lately. It's an ever shifting kind of theme in our lives as we evolve, isn't it? Um, the relationship kind of shifts. Um, but I want to explore, like, at what stage did uh, psychedelics enter your, into your realm of experience? Well, I was smoking a lot of weed in high school. Uh, I think that I was seven. I think it was probably junior year, maybe senior year when I first tried shrooms. And I knew absolutely nothing about them besides that they were natural and safe and they were trippier than weed. Uh, and I wouldn't say that that first experience was necessarily spiritual I didn't really have like again like the framework to really appreciate the experience I just knew it was like the most wild experience I'd ever had and I think it took getting into college and you know doing more experimentation with mushrooms especially mushrooms and also adding in the meditation um, that really made psychedelics explosively um, I guess educating for me yeah, for the longest time, I considered them to be like my teachers. Like people always ask, like, "Oh, you have like a mentor?" I was like, "Oh yeah, shrooms." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, if you yeah. close your eyes for two hours on mushrooms oh. and you know think about your your values and what life's all about, like you're you're gonna come out of there with some some new ideas. Totally, yeah. man. It's like this. I talk a lot about you know connecting with nature and. For a lot of people, just, just that bland statement kind of evokes taking a walk in the woods or going all like David Thoreau and, and living in the wilderness for a while. But when you think about connecting with nature from the perspective of ingesting a natural substance that uh, evokes a shift in consciousness, um, it kind of takes on a, a new kind of meaning because like the, the nature is actually inside of you and eliciting a, a change in you. And I, I often talk about how uh, mescaline or cactus, San Pedro, is, is, is my, currently my main teacher. Um, and I think it raises a lot of eyebrows because people are you know, still tarring this whole realm of exploration with the brush of 
of drugs and drugs are bad and this is irresponsible or something. And I, I kind of get frustrated with how strong that particular strand of cultural conditioning goes. Um, where even like some super open mind or open minded um, people who will happily go to yoga classes and do, and do their mantras and all sorts of things um, still retain this real fear and aversion to going down the psychedelic path. Um, have you mm -hmm. noticed that also? Oh, certainly. But I, I guess I, I understand that. I mean, they can be terrifying. True. You know, if that's um, probably, yeah, some of the most horrifying experiences I've ever had have been on psychedelics, if not the most. So I get, I get why the fear is there. I wish that there, I, I like you wish there was more understanding, more acceptance and more usage overall, but I get it. Yeah, I get it too, for sure, man. So what, what do you, when you look back at your life and, and what you're doing right now, which is amazing, like co-creating a, a, a platform that is educating the world about the things that we should be thinking about and learning about to live our best future possible. What do you, you know, we've touched on psychedelia, we've touched on meditation. What are, who and what else has shaped and influenced you? It's hmm. a very good question. Well, I, actually, uh, my current answer for who my teachers are are actually like mostly girlfriends at this point, it's especially a, a very special relationship that I had um, that ended almost two years ago. It was three years long, and uh, I, I was totally in love, and she was a spectacular, strong woman who was really good at calling my, my bullshit. You know, mm -hmm. she actually used, uh, I have a, I have a tattoo on my hand. That's a circle that you, you can't see, but, uh, she used it as a button, like kind of like a power button. She would press it without, if, if I was ever being an asshole and I'd have to like, you know, kind of like power down and like take a breath and be like, you're right, you're right. And I grew so much during that time period. I feel like she taught me even more than uh, psychedelics did. So yeah, being in love with someone and having to, to really own up to your shit would be yeah. a major thing. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I resonate with that. I remember saying once, you know, in a, in a period of where I'd broken up, ended, where I was out of a relationship, I remember saying, oh, yeah, it's time for me to just spend some time alone and, you know, just, 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 just practice and learn and grow. And it kind of like, even though that was totally valid for that period of my life, it kind of feels ironic um, looking at that time alone as, as a potent learning period because it's the time in relationship that have, you know that has evoked the most friction and therefore the most challenge and therefore the most growth. Um, mm. Talk to me about the breakup. Like you know, it sounds like a super special relationship that you had there, and you, and you mentioned that it is no longer. Um, mm. What did you take from that from that breaking up? It was a very mutual breakup. Uh, it seemed like you know we're everyone. We we're both growing uh, rapidly, and it seemed like at a certain point we were growing in different directions. So it made sense for us to go in different ways. I then moved to New York, and uh, she stayed in Portland, Oregon. Um, yeah, it was like the most loving and just mutual, like not easy, but uh, I don't know what the right word is, but healthy, healthy breakup that I had ever experienced up, up till that point. Amazing, man. Sounds like almost a, a natural mutual both just living living your lives and that's just the way it goes yeah awesome. have you been much informed by eastern philosophy or um yeah like things like buddhism hinduism yogic theory philosophy any of those things i wouldn't say in like a big way you know i've, I've done as much as much reading as well maybe not maybe more than the average person um but I, yeah, I really would tie all of it back to psychedelics. Like I, I, I feel like I learned a lot of those lessons through experience with medit with meditation and psychedelics, and then they was like confirmed by doing readings. Like, oh yes, I, okay. That's, they, they kind of put words to things that I had already learned about. Mm. Mm. Interesting. It's almost like they were all just a bunch of trippers writing down a bunch. Oh of yeah, I'm sure. A <laughs> Buddha was probably tripping on something. Oh man, <laughs> I don't doubt it. And old JC, what, what was he doing for those 40 days? Where, where was he for those 30 years? <laughs> oh, if you fast for 40 days, you're going to be tripping. <laughs> Absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Uh, so where's, where's the, uh, where's the current edge for you right now? So you're obviously a, 
a, a human being that's been on a path of transformation, evolution. Um, what represents that edge or that, you know, maybe I could use the terminology of bring in, bring in the notion of fear um, in terms of what, what, what scares you right now? Ooh, great question. Huh, let's see. I think uh, right now, and this is not always a, a fear for me, but right now is just basically making sure that I'm still doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, that I'm still working on the project that I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm, I'm still basically just focusing on the things that will have highest impact and that are most aligned with who I am. So it's kind of interesting because like, futurism has been extraordinarily successful, way bigger and more successful than anything else I've been involved in. We have we have funding. We have 15 people working in the office and 30 abroad. Um, and I'm in New York and like you know making more money than ever. And it's like it's almost like I have to keep questioning like is whoa am I getting caught up? You know like am I getting caught up in like the success and just making sure I'm staying true to my roots was which is extraordinarily difficult to do in New York because you're just everything is moving so so quickly. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that's probably my greatest fear like concern right now is to just make sure that I stay grounded um, while moving this quickly. Mm. Yeah, I was having this discussion with a friend yesterday. We, we sort of, he, he, he said to me, oh, the word, the concept of balance is bullshit. And I was like, he's, he's like, there, there, is no, there is no balance as in a finite place that you get to and then you're balanced. And, and, and I replied, well, we can still have balance, but it's just this sort of like ever shifting, like tightrope type thing, where it's minute mm -hmm. adjustments here and there. What do you, what do you do to stay balanced within this New York environment, high growth, high velocity work environment? What do you actually do to stay grounded or balanced? I try to go and to go on walks in the morning. That's my preferred mode of meditation. Is just going on walks. And if it's too cold, which it often has been in the last few months, or uh, I'd wake up too late or whatever it is, then I try to meditate on the subway, which is an interesting challenge, mm. especially if it's really, really full. Mm. Um, and then it's, you know, just what meditation is supposed to be is trying to stay aware moment by moment, which mm. is, yeah, the, the challenge of a lifetime. Mm. I read one of the articles that you wrote recently about I can't remember how you phrased it exactly, but you talked about the gray zone that you reach through walking and through meditation, where there's this just that ideal amount of tension and this particular type of awareness that um, creates the conditions for a particular type of thinking. Can you can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I was actually talking to someone about this recently, and 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 my the answer that came out when I was talking about it was even simpler. Um, for me. Sitting meditation is like fairly uncomfortable. I'm not sure if it's just because I'm like tall and have bad posture or whatever it is. Even when I was doing tons of yoga, it was like I have trouble just totally sitting still. I'm always like adjusting. But when I'm walking, I'm like perfectly physically comfortable. Um, and so for me, um, that provides a space for me to get like go totally inward. And then you're also just slightly distracted by the things that are going on around you because I, you know, I'm opening my eyes and not doing a closed eye walking meditation, which I've heard people do, and that sounds a little, yeah, that, that's crazy. Just put but, your helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think you're physically, or at least for me, I'm physically comfortable, and I'm just slightly distracted just enough while you know trying to remain as present as possible, and you're kind of wavering between being super like hyper present and focused and distracted. And that leaves a little window for, for ideas to come in, um, especially after you've like posed an actual question. Very interesting, man. Yeah, this is through the work I do, I explore, or not the work, through the life that I live, I explore this notion of the flow state. And, you know, I think there's parallels with the zone that you're talking about in terms mm -hmm. of the fact that there's usually a, well, always, there's, there's some sort of action in which you are immersing your consciousness in, be it surfing, peeling the potatoes, walking across the street. And it's almost like the allowing your awareness to be on that action allows something to bubble forth from within, your intuition, let's call it. 
Is that right. is that sort of the experience that you that you feel when you're going on these walks in the morning and you're sort of aware of the trees and the people and 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 how you're walking? Does it feel like that's creating, like, I don't know, like allowing something something to come from somewhere else? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, my walks are where I get all of my ideas. There were. I kind of like solve my problems or get answers to questions that I have. Um, the actual uh, like procedure that I follow is I do one block of, of like, well, one long New York block of uh, focusing in on my breath or like maybe just like my heart or the sensation of my feet touching the ground. So just like getting more um, focused and present. Mm -hmm. And then I'll do uh, a, a certain amount of time of gratitude, just like saying out loud or in my head what I'm thankful for and like actively smiling and just getting really kind of amped up and like mm -hmm. thankful, get the serotonin going. And then after that, um, I'll walk and if I have questions, like if I, if I have things I'm thinking about or like problems I'm trying to solve, I'll like vocalize those and then just like not, not really think and just kind of wait for something to come in. Or if I don't have any questions, just, just walking in silence and just seeing what flows in. Um, and it's, it's fairly consistent. And then I get those, the same thing, what you were talking about where something comes in that, it's, it seems like I didn't really come up with, you know, it didn't really come from anywhere. It's not like an active thought process. And it's a, to me, it's a very distinct feeling when that happens, like in the, the you know, the woo-woo world, they call it a download. And that's exactly what it feels like. It's, it's like something outside of yourself that is suddenly in your head. And the feeling is like, whoa, what is that? Okay, cool. I'm going to write that down before I forget it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing, man. Yeah. The, the, the daily downloads. That's a, that's a that's a beautiful way to get it. So let's just go there um, for a moment down this uh, rabbit hole that has emerged from talking about uh, woo stuff and downloads. Um, let's let's use the concept of synchronicity as as a sort of like gateway to walk through on this one. Okay, so mm -hmm. can you ex for for me? I've had these periods of my life. Um, I was in a very synchronistic two weeks of my life just recently and I think I'm about to enter one I'm going on a trip to LA next week and I'm sort of like learned how to kind of set the conditions for these synchronistic extended periods to happen um, yeah. and I'm sure that you also have what do you how do you sort of conceptualize or rationalize um, synchronicity um, serendipity and kind of like these downloads and the grace and flow or whatever sort of language that you use of just kind of feeling like you're tapped into some sort of universal flow. I think that there is some sort of invisible guiding hand to this universe that is striving for my own happiness. Um, that's part of the, like, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not, but Hey, that's what I believe. And it seems to be the case, whether or not that's my like bias perception or not mm -hmm. either in either way I'm experiencing it or seem to be. Um, so my, let's see, my big thing is, is, resistance or, or really not resisting. Um, I think that the universe or like whatever you want to call it has a way better idea of what's better for me than I do. Cause I have such a limited perspective on what's in front of me and you know, all the, the infinite amount of forces, this maelstrom of things that's happening. Um, it's just so silly to think that I know what's best for me, um, in a, on a moment by moment basis, uh, let alone, you know, a week from now, a year from now. So the more and more I can let go, um, and not resist any experience that happens to me, the more magic and serendipity uh, that, seems, that seems to happen. Love it, man. Yeah, letting go. It can, it can seem so paradoxical for many people. You know, we, I'm sure you also have used the word or heard the word surrender. Um, mm -hmm. And surrender is just, in our culture, just completely complicit with giving up, you know, waving the white right. flag. Um, right. But yet there is this other kind of surrender and letting go, which is actually so, so, so courageous. Um, it's almost like you've you got to trust in, in, in something. Now, how, how have you been able to, to do that? So this is what keeps a lot of people from, uh, this is what keeps a lot of people locked in this pattern of striving and pushing and basically being anxious humans because they feel like forcing their way to outcomes and, and goal achievement is 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 the only way so can you have you ever do you ever face this conflict between forcing and striving versus letting go and surrendering and how do you deal with that yeah definitely it's like uh, the balance thing you brought up 
it's finding balance is very difficult or well it's sometimes difficult to know when yeah when to surrender and when to act the the imagery that came into my head when you were asking this question was that um you kind of like let's say one day you like get a download and you're like okay this is what i want to do this is what i have to do so then i go heads down and just like work on that as much as i possibly can until you like hit a wall and then you're like oh okay so now what? And then you're like, you have to go back into the free flow mode and surrender. And then you get a new direction. Just, you know, So you just keep like kind of like treeing off. And you don't be so uh, tied to like doing the straight line because it's never going to be like that. <laughs> so like kind of oscillating back and forth, doing both at the same time. It's tricky to explain, but... You know. I know, yeah, I know what you're getting at. There's there's no straight lines in nature. It's, it's uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this, this, is, this is going with the flow. Like... I think what you just described there is this sort of like this this fluid lifestyle of sometimes you got to sprint, sometimes you got to stop. Like you got to follow. There's, there's it's ever changing and it's kind of like random and there's a certain chaos to it. But it's certainly sure shit ain't in a straight line with right angles and, and stop signs and and like clear divisions, is it? Um, totally. So okay, so so obviously staying in this balance or the language I use, staying in the flow is a life path. It seems to be a life path that you're committed to, me too, and, and a lot of people listening to this show are as well. Um, we've spoken about um, your, a little bit about your morning routine around uh, walking if the weather is conducive to it, meditating on the subway. Um, how else do you design, first of all, your day? Um, to optimize for being in this flow? Well, it's pretty easy as a coder. I put in headphones, I dive into the code, which is the majority of my day is, is coding for futurism. I'm technically the CTO there. Um, and that's part of why I love coding so much is that you're just, I'm in my own world and I'm, yeah, I've reached a point where I'm, I'm good at it so I don't have to think like, you know, too hard. I mean, enough so that it's still fun and, and creative, but um, yeah, you just go in there for like three, four hours and come out and be like, whoa, it's, it's already lunchtime. Okay. Mm. All right. That's cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find that a lot of, I, I, a couple of my clients are actual are CTOs in, in startups and the same thing we talk about this, this immersion into the coding, but there's often like what I call flow blockages, um, you know, uh, like <laughs> the daily meetings and oh, I've got, got to be part of that interview <laughs> process that I don't even feel like I'd need to be a part of. And mm. how do you deal with the things that take you out of that immersive coding flow state? Yeah, that's the tough part. Uh, I used to you be just like a solopreneur and worked at home or remotely for, you know, six or I guess six years in a row. And then when I joined Futurism, it was the first time I worked in like a legit office environment. I mean, legit is like a, is a strong word there. I mean, we're still very startupy and, and fun and whatever, but, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely something that I battle on a day-to-day basis is being taken out of flow state. It's like, that's actually really hard. Um, that's, that's something that I want to get better at right now is, is staying totally present and not getting a little bit frustrated when I'm like, just got back in, just like just there. And then someone's like, Hey, silly question that I could ask you later. And I'm like, Ooh. so it's, it's like, uh, leveling up, man. You know, like you get getting like being able to get into flow state in the first place consistently is like level, level one. And then it's like being able to jump right back in it after someone takes you out repeatedly. So just the mm. continual learning process. For sure, man. But I also think that we can do a lot to proactively, you know, curate the space that we're in, you know, like create this bubble around us, um, almost like this sacred zone, like don't fuck with me right now. I'm in a flow state kind of thing. And, and I, and I, you know, I know people who will do this in a pragmatic sense by having certain days of the week where, you know, okay, I'm available for meetings. I'm available for those, for you to pick my brain or, you know, ask me stuff. And then there's chunks of sacred time in the calendar where like, you know, you just, unless like the fire, that the building's burning down and we're all going to die, you don't, you don't tap me on the shoulder. Like, mm-hmm. do you think that's a pragmatic path for the sort of environment that you're in? Well, well, there's, 
I would say that the, the, the barrier of something that's important enough to, uh, like interrupt my state is fairly low. Like on, I think that's just like kind of the nature of my job because, you know, the, the tools that I create and like, uh, are basically being used nonstop by everybody else in the office to create content. And if there's something that's blocking them from working, you know, it doesn't make sense for them to, to wait two hours until I'm out of my bubble and out of flow state. So mm-hmm. maybe like, isn't it interesting idea? I haven't, I haven't even thought of doing this, but maybe doing like, you know, three to 5 PM every day mm-hmm. is like super flow state. I like that a lot. Actually recently, yeah. um, somewhat related to this is, uh, we started doing power hours, yeah. um, from five to six, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Like everyone just like, hey, I'm working on this. I'm working on this, and then we just like go for it. Yeah, I yeah. what I recommend is that everybody, all of you guys, just sit down and you actually look at this scientifically, and you say like, at what times of the day do we feel optimized for this type of work, and what times of day do we feel optimized for this time of type of work? And for example, for me, like those those morning periods, like my mind is mm-hmm. is very much sharper than post three p.m. Um, so I feel like it's negligent to use that time period for a lower level kind of, kind of thing. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. So, oh yeah. If you want to talk straight up productivity, I can do that. Uh, like I'm a big fan of, big fan of Pomodoro's. I mean, yeah. there's some great desktop apps, uh, especially for Mac. So you can quickly like jump in and out of Pomodoro's. Um, I love taking naps during the middle of the day, which I haven't been able to do in like two years since I joined Futurism. Yeah. Um, but that was a killer technique for when I worked at home. It's like you hit that 2 p.m. lull, uh, lull, and you you know you could just keep barreling through it. But like 30 minute no, nap? Or don't do that. What kind of length? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, like 20, 25, 30 is even pushing it. Yeah. Um, ideally, if you can even if you can couple that with a workout, like a nap and then work out and then like steam or a sauna cold shower and then go back to work, amazing. That's like the, so good. That's like the super combo. If you can do yeah nap. Like, first of all, eat good food for lunch and then heaps of water, then nap, then and work out, meditation, some sort of breath work, like a Wim Hof breath, breath oh, round or totally. something like that. You're, yeah. you're going to, like that sluggishness is just not going not gonna to be a, an impediment at all. Yeah. Not at all. You're in a better place than you were at 9 a.m. when you started working. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally activated. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's get a little bit geeky um, in terms of futurism and uh, cool stuff that, that you get excited by um what do you think is are, are going to be kind of like the dominant i guess world changing themes o- over the next five to ten years when you look at technology in particular right uh there's i think there's three major things that are going to be the most earth shattering first one is definitely artificial intelligence and kind of related to that is uh enhancing human intelligence which is just now becoming more of a global topic or like a, a top or a talking point with Elon Musk announcing um, his initiative to enhance human intelligence by like embedded brain chips. Um, I was actually just at a, a dinner last night where the the major question poised was, you know, what will be the moral and kind of like social implications when, you know, certain humans in 30 years or so have the the money to afford the technology that allows them to think 100 times faster than they previously were able to. Um, you know, like we already have, we're already concerned about the disparity between the rich and the poor. What happens when you're a hundred times smarter than someone else because you have more money? Um, so that's going to be really interesting. Wow. How does that one make you feel? Oh, I'm excited by all technology. Like I don't really find any reason to fear it because it's inevitable. You know, what you resist persists. You can't stop advancement. You can't stop technology. Um, and so, yeah, you might as well just be excited about it. And then also, you know, look at it or like develop it in a, in a thoughtful way. Like having these discussions, like I had last night, uh, I had this discussion with a guy named Brian Johnson, yeah. who is an investor in futurism as well as uh, the creative kernel, which is a company just like Elon Musk that is trying to create brain chips that make us think faster and have uh, better memory, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's going to happen. So we might as well, uh, you know, put as much thought into it as possible so that we do it right. Absolutely, man. It's, yeah, I, I definitely sense in you like a, a definite willingness to, to have this sort of mindset of abundance and, or, or just see things, choose, like exercise your, your conscious choice to, to choose a perspective that, 
that is beneficial and going to get somewhere rather than sort of like the fear, <laughs> ah, doom and gloom, the robots are going to take over. But um, right. what, what's fascinating for me is that you've got to, obviously, a, you're, you're immersed in this world of, of tech and innovation and disruption, but yet your, your, your practice is kind of like low tech. Um, do you merge kind of like tech, and I, and I guess I'm including things like nootropics, but also like brainwave entrainment or any kind of, like you'll know better than me, but about the, the, the merging of tech and spiritual practice, but mm-hmm. do you merge personally yourself or is it kind of like a low tech practice? Oh, if I, if nootropics worked for me, I'd be on them for sure. Mm-hmm. I've tried a number of them. We get sent samples to futurism all the time. I'm always down to try it, to try something new, but uh, generally it's like, oh, there's caffeine in this, and that's why I feel this way. Um, all the racetams and uh, Nupept didn't really do anything for me, mm-hmm. as much as I would, I would just love if they worked. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I actually haven't done much work with you know things like the Muse headband, yeah. like things where you're objectively measuring how well you're meditating. Yeah. Um, that's something I'm I'm, I'm interested in. But it, uh, everything that I've read and, and the few things that I have tried, I've just been like not super accurate. It's yeah. still very early. Yeah. Um, like my, my roommate actually runs a company, uh, OpenBCI, they're like open source brain sensing headsets. So I talked to him about this stuff and it's just, it's really, really early. It's really hard to get accurate brain activity through the skin without going like under the skin. Oh. It's especially hard with, uh, with dry sensors. Wet sensors are better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated by, you know, obviously what's going on in the brain is amazing. But, you know, the stuff that's going on elsewhere in the body, like, like what, what's our skin giving off? Galvanic skin respo- re- response and electromagnetic stuff coming from the heart area. Um, one of the projects that, I, that I'm immersed in is this collective flow project. And it's kind of just stemmed from a kind of obsession about these experiences that I'm sure you've had in your life. <laughs> I mean, some of the deepest collective flow experiences I've had have been at raves um, when some awesome DJ is curating this experience for hundreds and thousands of people to drop into this shared state of consciousness. Well, that's what it certainly feels like in my experience. Does that mm-hmm. resonate? Oh, absolutely. I still love raves. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, have you ever tried, um, I mean, ideally under the influence of MDMA, but uh, sitting on the floor and having your friends surround you so you can like meditate on the dance floor? Oh, wow. No, I haven't. <laughs> if you haven't done that and people out there do it, it's amazing because it's uh, for one, the, the audio experience is, is very different because you're, you're lower to the floor. You're feeling the bass is like going up your spine. Basically, you hear much more of like the lower tones, which is interesting. Um, and then you, the other part is that you have your friends around you and like, I, like my friend group generally will like, like put hands like over the person, try to like beam energy into them. So you like know everyone's like focusing on you and is like loving you, which is really cool. And then you're also just able to close your eyes and totally focus in on the music, mm-hmm. which you, I mean, dancing like is definitely a flow state, mm-hmm. but, um, you're just so much more intently focused when you're just sitting still. It's a mm-hmm. transformant experience. Like, Oh my gosh. Man, I'm going to be doing that next week. Um, <laughs> because the reason I get so excited about those experiences, like where we feel that, or even a meditative experience, I know that you've been to sort of Vipassana-type things, or maybe it was actually Vipassana. I remember reading an article mm-hmm. you wrote. Um, but like when you think about the the challenges that our world's facing, there's a lot of sort of egocentricism out there, or a lot of like this kind of like, loneliness and existential angst and then on the other hand we have these experiences of collaboration and shared consciousness and for me I I always think wow that's like an experience that takes us so so much into kind of like a primal animalistic natural state of cohesion and and group flow Um, but on the other hand and, and it's obviously something that helps as a species to optimize for survival and thriving but yet we know so little about it apart from you know some jumping around on the dance floor or being in a jazz band or being in a sports team and we can just anecdotally speak about these awesome times in our life apart from that it's like lost in the ether we there's no dialogue or research 
being done in that space as far as I can tell. Do you think that it's something that can be researched and can lead to profound insight? I'm not sure about that. I don't know how they would study that um, outside from trying to look at the, like the effect on the brain when you're having a communal experience. I'm sure they would be like, there's a lot of dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin released, mm-hmm. like, you know, forms social bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I actually, um, more recently in the last few years, I've realized that I, I think that the thing that excites me most is bringing people together. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to doing more like events work within futurism and then also things beyond that. I think that form the community is like the thing we need most. Absolutely. It's like number one. That was my whole impetus in starting the Bahala movement. Um, it's mm. so lacking We're like, I really miss the whole like tribalism. I don't think we should go back to being tribes. Um, we've, you know, we've grown beyond that, but we, we kind of need to find balance. <laughs> as the the pattern that keeps coming up in this conversation it is eh? is that a sort of is, is that shit because for me this i'm very much like i've just spent the last four years setting up the, the flow state collective as pretty much a lone wolf and just in the last year i've just it that no longer resonates i'm kind of like just increasingly aware of the limitations of this path of the lone wolf and the, the urge to co-create and collaborate is just getting stronger and stronger each day. So does this also feel like a, a new kind of emergence for you? Uh, the desire to create community or yeah, to working with others? Yeah, community and to do more sort of collaborative stuff. Definitely. I, I can see the traces of it um, all the way you know, back in childhood, and so it makes a lot of sense. But this is, yeah, definitely something more recent for me. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like that's kind of like an evolutionary process? Uh, for humanity or for myself? For yourself and maybe for humanity. Like, what do you think? Like, is, is this shift from lone wolf to, to group stuff, is it, is it growth or is it just change? Is it, yeah, is there like a model, I guess, there, in your opinion? Brings me back to a, an article or a book I read a really long time ago that was um, equating... Uh, the like the human race basically like what the, everything that we've been going through to like the life cycle life cycle of a human and it was talking about how like uh like the 1900s and the 2000 or like early 2000s were kind of like just going through like puberty and like you know going towards adulthood um and you know i was definitely more of like a, a lone wolf i as i said i did i was like a solopreneur for like six mm-hmm. years and didn't really value working with other people i thought i could do everything best myself and mm-hmm. didn't trust anyone to do those things mm-hmm. so i hope that you know kind of my own growth is being mirrored by humanity and that we're moving towards a, a state of um put, placing a lot more value on being with one another yeah yeah I mean, that's yeah that's that's what i sort of feel when i see this pattern manifested in individuals who are kind of like I guess playing with the emerging future um, yeah it's exciting man cool brother well let's wrap it up um, thank you so much for your time um, it's a pleasure just just to finish off if there's one piece of wisdom or one particular book or one movie or one practice um, that you could hand over to maybe a a, a dear friend of yours who was feeling like it's all a little bit meaningless and they're feeling a little bit lost and they can't quite tap into that rich vein of purpose in their life. What Hmm. might that be? Well, I imagine if you, if if one was feeling like they didn't have much purpose, then it's probably because they don't know what they want to do. Um, which is probably is you know coming from one of two problems in that you have you have really have no idea you have no clues or you have way too many things you want to do <laughs> both are which are very difficult problems to overcome um, and so I would beg them to ask the question of like what do you care about and how do you want to help mankind how do you want to help your fellow man that seems to be the question that leads to like the most true answer for what you should focus your time into and then once you have even an inkling of an idea of what that is you don't need to know i still don't know i have no idea i'm still experimenting and running and hitting walls and then turn, you know just change going 45 degrees um but just take a baby step towards that every day you don't need to quit your job you don't need to drop out of college that's the big thing is just do one thing that brings you a little bit closer to that every day and don't worry about the entire journey like just do one small thing and when you do that for 20 days, your life will be changed. 
boom. Life rewards action and movement and flow momentum. Mm. Yeah. Awesome, Jordan. We'll leave it right there on that note. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm going to sh- leave in the show notes where people can, can check you out. Um, but basically, it's futurism.com. Com. Yeah. Yep. And jordanlejuan.com. Or lejuan.com. Lejuan.com. Yeah. Awesome. And I'll leave that all in the show notes. Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate your time and your insights and for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jordan I certainly did he's a super interesting guy I think that we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more uh, from him just the way his mind works the way he perceives the future it's so fascinating talking with people fellow psychonauts people who have explored their minds using uh, consciousness expanding methods people with deep meditation practices people who philosophize on life I love the conversations with people like that Um, there's always just some special magic that just happens Um, so before I tune out Just another reminder that Flow Tribe is launched. Um, If you're someone who's yearning for deep community, if you're someone who just craves those conversations um, about the real shit, um, those deep philosophical conversations, like the one I just had with Jordan, if you're someone who wants to connect on that level with fellow um, flow seekers, consciousness seekers, uh, experience seekers, then go to flowtribe.co, www.flowtribe.co, what you're going to find there is tribe, community, um, resources, wisdom, shared experiences, all the wonderful things that people living in tribal societies would have had. That's it for now. Tune in next week. We've got um, many amazing podcasts lined up. I've been really busy interviewing some absolute rock stars. Um, not necessarily the obvious famous people that you get on many podcasts, but kind of like more underground flow warriors. That's what's really inspiring me these days. Who are the people who have got deep practices? Who are the people who are living life um, their way with authenticity, with integrity? Um, Take care, guys. This is me signing out in flow. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.